Welcome to the 8th Street Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Mikhail, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors at the 8th Street Church. Usually our sermons are recorded live, but we had some technical difficulties on Sunday, September 2nd, and my message was not recorded that day. Since then, several people have asked me about it, so I'm sitting down to re-record this message nearly a month after it was preached. Uh, But back in September, when this sermon was preached, we were in a sermon series called Women and the Movement of God, and I encourage you to listen to the three other wonderful sermons in this series if you have not already done so. Today, our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And I will be reading from the New Living Translation. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And I invite you to say with me, thanks be to God. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells three stories to describe what the kingdom of God is like. And in these stories, we aren't being told how we should behave. We learn first and foremost what kind of place this kingdom of God is. And we learn it's incredibly different than all the other kinds of kingdoms we have ever known or experienced. 
When Jesus talks about a bridal party waiting for the groom in the first part of the chapter, we learn that the kingdom of God is a place of anticipation. And at the end of the chapter, when Jesus tells a story about people being judged according to how they are treated, how they treat the least of these, we learn that the kingdom of God is a place oriented toward the good of the other. And in the story we read today, right in the middle, we learn that the kingdom of God is a place where risk is required and courage is necessary. Now, with all of Jesus's stories, there are so many rich layers of truth that it would take much longer than this 25-minute sermon to plumb the depths of them. But I think there are a few really important details that I want to make sure we pay attention to. First, at the risk of stating the obvious, we cannot miss the fact that Jesus says the kingdom of God is a place where humans are given things to invest. You know that time when you went to church with your grandmother and she passed you a dollar bill just in time for the offering? You knew that that dollar bill did not belong to you. It was supposed to go from her hand to your hand directly into the offering plate. And Jesus says that we are given things like that. They are given to us, but they are not our things. What shows up in our bags of silver is entrusted to us, but it does not belong to us. Second, the monies are given to the servants not for safekeeping, but for investment. This would have been a familiar practice for Jesus's audience. Without a stock market, wealthy landowners depended on servants to manage and invest their money while they were away. They were expected to do with the money what the master would have done with the money. And third, I think it's really fascinating how the master refers to the amounts of money given to each servant. The total of all three bags of silver would represent something over $2 million in today's currency. We're not talking about a small amount of money here. And yet when the master returns and congratulates the two servants on their work, he refers to both five and two bags of silver as, quote, a small amount. When in reality, even the servant who was given one bag of silver was given a small fortune. And this is a significant detail for us as we understand God's kingdom and our part in it. Jesus is saying that even what seems like a fortune to us is, in fact, just a fraction of the wealth of God's kingdom. The master wasn't risking all his fortune in the hands of even his most competent servant. The kingdom was not at risk. And so even the servant who had the most to lose could afford to take a risk. And yet, even though the master had plenty where it came from, he expected that something would be done with the money he entrusted to each servant. And that is because he expected the servants would do what he would have done with the money. Four years ago this month, in September of 2014, I was a part of a pastoral staff retreat with Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, where I was serving as discipleship pastor at the time. And during one of the sessions, our speaker gave us a series of questions to pray about, the final question being, what do you need right now? 
I remember feeling really stumped as I prayed about this. Instead of thinking about what I needed, all I could think about was what I had. Over the last four years, I had received significant relationships, experiences, and answers to prayers that I had been praying for a long time. And then out of nowhere, the thought came, right now, I need risk. And I knew that that thought was from God, because if you know me, you understand that risk is never something that I want for myself. (laughs) And yet in my mind's eye, I saw all the gifts I had received as this brand new car sitting in my garage. I imagined the voice of God saying, why not take it out on the open road and see what I can do? See what all of these gifts that you've been given can do. In January of that year, Chris, Pastor Chris, had shared with our whole pastoral team the dream that God had given him and Holly for a new church in Midtown. I had been excited about this dream and committed to praying for him and for Holly and for their kids, Watson and Annabelle. And as I prayed from January to September, God began to give me dreams of my own for this not-yet-existing church. And so when I heard the word risk, I knew what it meant. And to be honest, I was terrified. And then one morning, a few weeks later, I sat down for my time of prayer, and the scripture for that day was Matthew 25, 14 through 30, just what we read a few minutes ago. And I completely identified with the servant who buried his money. I felt paralyzed by the what ifs and the not enoughs that crowded my head. I didn't feel like what I had was enough for this new task of starting a brand new church. But I also felt keenly aware that I didn't want to lose this recent feeling of stability and comfort that had come in my work at Bethany First Church and the relationships I had gathered there and my newfound role as a mother. My son was just six months old and I was afraid of failure. I was afraid of mistakes. I was afraid of loss. But thankfully, I was not left to my own thoughts for very long. I remember in this time of prayer that day, the Spirit so clearly asking me, what would you do? if fear was not a factor? What would it be like if you weren't afraid of any of those things? In the story that Jesus tells, the master tells the two servants who invested well, well done, good and faithful servants. Now come, enter into the joy of your master. And suddenly in that time of prayer, something clicked inside of me, and I realized that my master, Jesus, wasn't afraid or anxious. He wasn't watching me, biting his nails, wondering what will become of all of this. Will Mikhail make the right decision? Will she lose everything that's been entrusted to her? What will happen? No, he wasn't He wasn't anxious at all. When I looked up to see him, there was joy on his face, joy of possibility, joy of expectation, joy of abundance. In the words of Walter Brueggemann, I was coming out of this myth of scarcity 
and into the liturgy of abundance. This liturgy, this practiced way of life, leads us to breathe easy. There is freedom there. There's enough to go around, and we're not in charge of parceling it out. We're not in charge of keeping it, controlling it, ensuring that it goes on. There is another greater force who has been at work from the moment creation began, ensuring that this abundance continues. And so in a kingdom of abundance, we recognize that all we have is gift, pure and simple, and that the person who gave us the gift in the first place has a whole lot more where it came from. And the joy on my master's face, the joy of his abundant kingdom in that moment gave me courage. And I finally figured out that my desire to enter into my master's joy was greater than all that I feared. And when I let myself imagine the joyful possibilities on the other side of this risk, I got incredibly excited. I thought about people learning the freedom and joy of life with God, experiencing the beautiful gift of Christian community, maybe for the very first time. I thought about friends I knew in the Midtown area, and my heart jumped at the thought of a church for them. Honestly, for some of you. And all of a sudden, my thoughts about my own involvement in this new church moved from anxiety and fear to pure joy and excitement. I can't say, honestly, that this was the last time I felt fear in the last four years of this journey. But from that time on, the joy of doing this with all of you, 8th Street Church, the anticipation of all that is ahead of us and the joy that I see on my master's face has been far greater than any, any fear. And I tell you this story not because I want you to think I am a courageous hero. In fact, I don't think I'm a courageous hero and I hesitated even telling this story because I don't want you to think of me that way. But before this experience, I watched and heard stories of others and often wondered how on earth they did it. Maybe these people were just fundamentally different than me. Maybe they never got scared. <laughs> Maybe they never even thought about burying their silver in the ground. Maybe I'm the only one who had those thoughts and feelings and fears. But now on the other side of this experience, I think that my story is one of millions of people who have learned what life is like in God's kingdom. I have, at least up to this point, been asked to risk so little in comparison with others. But now I think I know how they did it. All of us are asked to risk something. And all of us find courage to risk in the one who asks it of us. There are, of course, many men who we recognize as courageous, but let's not forget that throughout history, in most times and places, it has been women who have had to have extraordinary courage to do what God has invited them to do. I think of the women who are named in Luke chapter 8, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, 
Susanna, and the gospel writer says many others who followed Jesus and even provided for his ministry out of their own resources at a time when even well-to-do women were to stay home, raise children, and manage their own households, and who were not even supposed to be in conversation (laughs) with men who were not their husbands. I think of the woman who poured out expensive perfume, probably her most valuable possession on Jesus's feet at a dinner party when no one else thought she was even worthy of being present. I think of the women who stuck with him to the bitter end and who somehow weren't afraid to be associated with him while he was executed as an enemy of the state. I think of Reverend Mary Lee Cagle, who in the 1890s accepted her own call to preach when she was 33 years old. She had never told God, I won't preach, but she said, I can't, until God wouldn't let it go. And finally, she said, okay, if you say I can, then I can, and I will. And this woman not only preached, but she became a church planter, starting dozens of new churches throughout the South. Her network of churches became one of the three small holiness denominations that became the Church of the Nazarene in 1909. And then I think of Reverend Johnny Jernigan, one of the founders of Bethany First Church of the Nazarene right here in Oklahoma, who, because she preached publicly, was called a prostitute by some and then was shot at by a brothel owner for preaching to prostitutes as well. She created homes for unwed pregnant women, abandoned children, and women fleeing prostitution. And if she couldn't find funding for someone else to do it, she routinely brought them into her own home. I think of my friends in Swaziland that I was privileged to spend a year with. Evelyn Shangwe, a pastor's wife, and Mary Magagula, a retired nurse, who went searching for people dying alone huddled in filthy closets during the height of the AIDS epidemic in Swaziland. And they emptied their own pantries and they emptied their own hearts in order to give people love and dignity and food and care, even as they died. And now 10 years later, their organization has advocated on behalf of thousands of people living with HIV. They have provided for hundreds of children Orphaned by AIDS, they have helped to drastically destigmatize HIV and AIDS so that people can talk about it and work to prevent it without fear and shame. Mary and Evelyn are some of the most courageous people I know. And along with others, their risk has literally saved their nation. Thinking of these women's stories moved me to tears on multiple times this week. The risks they took, the investments they made, the way they used everything they had for the good of others, this has humbled me. And if you take a minute, I'm sure you can think of many people whose courageous ability to risk has influenced your life directly. In fact, right now, Take a minute. Think of those people. Because of my own experience, 
and the witness of so many others like these and hopefully the many that came to your mind as well. I have become, I've come to believe that courage is a foundational virtue of the kingdom of God for women and for men alike. Why? Because risk. Risk is a reality of the kingdom of God. If we think that the kingdom of God is a safe place where our main task is to maintain status quo and wait it out until Jesus comes again, well then, we should go back and read Jesus a little more carefully. Risk moves us out of our own territory and into God's territory. Playing it safe ensures that we can manage, that we can control, that we can predict an outcome that satisfies us. But risk, by definition, means there is some other element at work that is outside of our control, and we don't actually know how it's going to turn out. But in God's kingdom, we can trust that there is more going on than what we can make happen. There is an abundance that we can't fully comprehend. But let's be clear too, we are not talking about being reckless or irresponsible. We have been given rich gifts for a purpose. We are to do with them what our master would do with them. And what has he done with his own gifts? He has invested them, leveraged them, given them all away for the good of others, for the good of us. It's common to hear people talking about courage these days. We hear things like speak up and dare to dream and don't be afraid to go upstream and you do you. And that's all good. Those are not bad messages, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. I firmly believe there is a reason that Matthew put these three stories together in what we now know as Matthew 25, the stories of the kingdom of a place of the kingdom of God being a place of anticipation and the kingdom of God being a place of risk and courage and the kingdom of God being a place of acting for the good of the other. The risk we are asked to take and the courage we are given to take it is motivated both by our sense of anticipation of the whole good, beautiful new work of recreation in Christ Jesus and motivated by our desires for others to experience it too. We are not given courage so that we can take risks to benefit ourselves only. We are given courage so that we can risk what we have been given on behalf of others. This week, in preparation for this message, I have been asking that the Spirit would make it clear to us what we have as the 8th Street Church in our bags of silver and how we are being asked to invest it. And here's what I believe today. We have a whole lot of silver in our bag. As a congregation, 
we know the power of resurrection life. And we have witnessed in ourselves and others the freedom and hope it brings. We are a people of peace and reconciliation. We have been given the joy of shared life and the excitement of seeing old things becoming new. We are a people who know freedom from addiction and miraculous provision of homes and finances and people who have experienced broken relationships healed and reconciled. And in addition to all of these amazing spiritual gifts, we are also a highly educated group on the whole. In our society, we, the majority of us, are the privileged ones. In our city, our church has been welcomed and celebrated publicly on news outlets and in social media. Just this week, we have the resource of good standing in our community. We have been given this beautiful building in the middle of the city, surrounded both by million-dollar homes and neighbors without homes and everyone in between. We have been given connections, relationships, good neighbors, and influence. And all of this, I believe, is what we as the 8th Street Church are being asked to invest on behalf of others. Will we use our God-given resources to advocate for those without homes and without access to education? Will we risk our privilege and our good standing to speak out on behalf of our brothers and sisters at the margins who are seeking asylum in our country? Or those who are enslaved to addiction or prostitution or both? Will we risk our privilege and good standing to speak out on behalf of the littlest ones who are shuffled around in the foster care system or those who don't have access to mental health resources or medical care or healthy food? Will we advocate? Will we speak out on behalf? Will we risk what we have been given for on behalf of those men and women who are suffering under a criminal justice system that needs so badly to be just? Will we? 8th Street Church, invest? Will we even risk losing what we have been given for the sake of others? It's okay if you don't have an answer to this question right away. It's okay if it sounds scary. It's okay if you're terrified. I have been there, and it wouldn't be risk if it didn't sound a little bit scary, at least. We don't come to courage by denying fear. But if we are to be people of courage, we must ask ourselves this question. Can we somehow be motivated by the joyful smile on our master's face instead of being motivated by our own what-ifs and fearful not-enoughs? Is our desire to enter into the joy of our master greater than our fear of failure and loss? Can we live in such joyful anticipation of what will be that we are willing to use what we have so that others can live there too? In Jesus, 
we are given the greatest example of the risk required in the kingdom and the courage necessary to take the risk. The author of Hebrews tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, because of the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits in glory at the right hand of God. Jesus, too, found courage to risk everything he had been given for the sake of others by looking in joyful anticipation at the kingdom to come. Lord, our desire is that we find our home in your good kingdom, where we learn to take risks and we invest what we have been given on behalf of others. Your kingdom where we are motivated by the joy and the anticipation of your kingdom where all is made new. As we receive your gifts, Jesus, please help us to see the joy on your face. As you share yourself with us, transform us into the people who will follow you into courageous action on behalf of others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I want to send you with this benediction as we do every Sunday in worship here at the 8th Street Church. So please receive these good words as you go. Wherever you are and whatever you are doing this day, may you see the joy on your master's face that you may find courage to risk what you have been given for the sake of others. Amen.